So good morning, everyone. Say life. Life. We get to enjoy life today and life in Jesus because he rose today. So today is a celebration of life. And I'm so glad that we get to do it together. Courtney, it's lovely to have you with us this morning and not checking in online all the way from down under. And for anybody else that is joining us online, so welcome. Just open up your heart to what Holy Spirit wants to do. And man, does he want to do a lot today. So make sure that you've come with a heart ready to contribute. You need to give him something to work with, not just to come and consume. Is he going to bless us? Is he going to work in us? You better believe it. And I'm super excited. So I want to jump straight in, but let's just pray before we start. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for, for making it possible for us to walk in relationship with you every day. And we celebrate what the resurrection of Jesus meant, and that's life with you every day. And thank you that as we just go into this time of the word right now, that you would just stir our spirits, wake us up, and help us to use our redeemed imaginations to go with you to the places that you want to take us. Even now, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, I'm going to be talking to you about life in the blood of Jesus. Right. So it's Easter. Maybe we're expecting something about the blood and the resurrection and... And, and we're so good at like remembering and looking back, but I want to focus on what life looks like in the blood of Jesus. And what I'm going to do is just progressively talk to you about firstly the blood, why it's important, where it came from, this importance of the shedding of blood, then how Jesus' sacrifice was perfect so that we could live life every day in the blood. So that's why we've got our, our kids church with us today. So guys, remember if you're feeling a little sleepy and that goes for you older kids and moms and dads here as well. Um, so because we live, you're not allowed to go, you have to go. Okay. So if you see a neighbor sleeping, just nudge them. Okay. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. So if you are an avid note taker, do yourself a favor, receive in your spirit what Holy Spirit wants to do today. And ask him, what's that one thing? What are you speaking to my heart about? And I will happily share my notes with you afterwards and whatever links I can. Just you focus on what the Lord wants to do in your heart. Okay? Good? Let's go. So where the blood comes from, or this idea of the shedding of blood, we're going to, um, let me just rather give a reference. Revelation 3 verse 18 tells us that the lamb was slain. Jesus the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world even came into existence. So God had a plan for the blood of Jesus to be shed. Or as, as, as the, the triune God, they decided this would be the way before the world was even created, right? So this thing of shedding of the blood started before the world even began. Leviticus 17.14 tells us that there's life in the blood, all right? That's why Jesus in particular had to be crucified for his blood to be flowed to be flowed, to be shed, <laughs> so it could be flowed, okay. Genesis 2 verse 7 speaks about how God breathed life into Adam. So there's life in this bloodstream. God breathed into Adam, and there was life. The blood carries life. This is such an important thing, okay. So um, God made Adam, so Adam had God's bloodline, his blood. It was perfect. All right. It looked something like this. This is my, this is my all gold ketchup blood sample. 
All right. So looks pretty good, okay? All gold is the legit tomato sauce that the movies use, okay? Because there's 36 tomatoes in that bottle. My brother told me that on my 36th birthday. So this is a nice, like a thick tomato sauce. You can see the low-budget movies, they're using wimpy. Wimpy tomato sauce, that thin stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. So Adam had perfect blood from God the Father. God was Adam's father. And then as we know what happened, Adam sinned. And his blood got introduced to a mixture. Here's my other blood sample. So for those of you sitting a little bit further away, it's just mixed with some, with some smoky Worcester sauce. I thought it was a good idea when I bought it at the time. But it's a little, it's a little heavy. <laughs> so I don't recommend it. <laughs> so I decided I would use some in my blood sample. So Adam sinned and his blood got tainted and spoiled. It was no longer perfect anymore. And so what happened is all of us come from Adam. So we all have this blood. Everyone that was born after Adam was from then on born with blood containing a sin nature in it. Meaning it was going to maybe resist the things of God. It was going to, you know, those things that you'll say you'll never do and then you do them. Or your parents say, my children will never do that. And then there you go, nevering like you've never nevered before. And your parents are like, what? I can't believe my child did that. And so this is the sin nature in our blood that we are born with until Jesus came. And guess whose father Jesus was? Father God. Jesus got his blood directly from the Father. Remember how the Holy Spirit came over Mary and... Um, Jesus was conceived, and that was with the blood of the Father. Perfect blood once again. That's why Jesus is also called the last Adam, because his blood, again, was perfect. All right. So Jesus and Adam had the same father. But what Jesus did was he made being close with the Father possible again. Because when God looks at the blood, he sees life. Okay? And he can't be close to anything that is sinful because he's just pure and he's righteous. But man, he wanted to be close to us. And that's why he had Jesus come and shed his perfect blood. That's why we are actually reborn. If you think about it, you don't become a little baby. Your, your spirit becomes born, right? Because when Adam sinned, his spirit died inside of him. That God made in every single human being. So what happens is we get the blood of Jesus and we are born again. That's why we use that phrase. We've got new bloodline, new lineage, new history. It's God's history. It's Jesus' blood. All right, so I've still got my normal blood type. But what adds is a dimension of pure blood, the blood of Jesus, that when God looks at us, he sees. Isn't that awesome? Right, so even as early as Genesis, the blood of Jesus being shed, there are these pointers. What did it do for us? Okay. I'm going to quickly scan through Genesis, Exodus, a bit of Leviticus, and just give you a couple of pointers. What was the blood already starting to do as it was shed? Are you ready? Okay, put your seatbelt on. We're going to go through this quickly. So Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve sin, and God has to kill an animal and take its skin and cover them. So the blood provides a covering in Genesis 3. Okay? Genesis 4, Abel brings his... Um, 
his sacrifice to to the Lord, which is a lamb that is that is um, slaughtered in the bloodsheds, and it pleases God. It was a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. This blood that was shed. Then what happens? Cain is jealous. He kills his brother, and the Bible says that the blood of Abel, the spilled blood, cried out to God. So here we see that the blood was an acceptable offering. There's this introduction of this blood being shed, and that the blood also speaks. Our blood speaks. The blood of Jesus speaks more later. Okay. Genesis 8. Noah goes out onto, onto dry ground, right? The water levels have receded. He's on dry ground. He goes and he builds an altar to the Lord, a thank, a thank offering that he, that he then makes on the altar. Blood is shed. And what does God say? He will never again curse the ground on account of man. So blood breaks, curses. Is this sounding familiar? It's so cool that God started it so early on. All of these were pointers. The Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. So cool. Right. Then in Genesis 12, Abraham, uh, uh, I don't think he's Abraham yet, but Abraham arrives in Canaan. And God starts to covenant with him. And then blood is shed. He builds an altar. All right. Then Isaac, he's busy digging wells. And then in that same context, he builds an altar. And blood is shed. And God covenants with Isaac. And then Jacob, the same thing. He pitches a tent. He has a dream. He builds an altar. Blood is shed. What's happening? God is covenanting with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Right? So what does the blood do? The blood inherits promises and it activates covenants. Right? That's really powerful. And the important thing here, okay, you kids, just nudge the person next to you and say, in the kingdom, there are no grandkids. All right, so God covenanted with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. He didn't covenant with Abraham and then everybody rode on his coattails. All right, God covenanted individually, meaning you have to have your own relationship with Jesus. He has to come into your heart. His blood must be covering your life, okay? So you can't get into heaven because mom and dad went to church, all right? It's really important to know. Right, Exodus. Now, we know the story about how God's people are in Egypt, and then God wants to take them out. And there's the story of the Passover. Why? Because the destroyer is coming to kill all the firstborn. And then what are the, the families instructed to do? This is interesting. It wasn't the priests that were instructed to put blood on the doors, the blood of the lambs. It was the fathers. Every father for every home. Right? So the blood is applied on the, the doorposts, and when, when God look, when he passes over, he sees the blood and then he will not let the destroyer bring harm. Because he sees the blood. And the father sees, he knows what's coming. They've already decided Jesus' blood is going to be shed. So every time blood is shed, it's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. It's really powerful. It's really cool. And what happens here is the people are delivered from their oppressors and they are freed from their slavery. So the blood brings deliverance. Very cool. All right, then Exodus 24 and 25, that's where Moses goes up the mountain and he connects with God. Then he comes down and he builds an altar. And then somewhere in this context as well, he gets the, the plans to build a tabernacle and a special altar, which we're going to talk about in a moment, um, or just a special place where... Blood again would be, would be shed and would be sprinkled. And once that is done, God comes down to dwell. 
So blood gives us access to the presence. Okay? So let's just do a quick recap. The blood provides a covering. The blood is it's an acceptable offering and it speaks. The blood breaks curses. The blood inherits promises and activates covenants. The blood gives deliverance. It, it gives us access to God's presence. This is all pointing and pointing and pointing, right? So cool. And now what would happen is there was the system in place where for the forgiveness of sin, right? Okay, kicking the dog and pulling your sister's hair and, well, doing worse things. Né? That's why the Ten Commandments were there. Killing your neighbor because why? <laughs> there, were the, there were the commandments were in place to actually tell people how to behave. Why? Because they had this, this mixture, this, this sinful blood inside of them that would just make them do this stuff. So they had to have stuff telling them, don't do that. Don't do that. And what they would do is they set the system in place, basically. Now, this is a whole other teaching, the tabernacle. But there was a place called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I know what you're thinking, some of you. Okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, right? Now, the story's about the same Ark, but that story's a bunch of nonsense. Okay, but it's about this Ark. Let me find my Ark quickly. Here it is. Right, so it's about this Ark. Kari, you can show the others if you want to, Okay called the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. Right, she's got the color version, all right? The Ark of the Covenant, most of us know very well um, the story of the Ark of the Covenant. But it was this wooden box covered with gold and it had this golden lid and that was called the Mercy Seat. The Mercy Seat. And what would happen is the priests, they had one day a year, there were other blood sacrifices in place, but there was a special day called the Day of Atonement and once a year, the priests would have to go in and sprinkle blood there on top of that mercy seat, on top of that covering, on t and then in front of it as well. And this would be for the sins of the people. So what would happen would be they would get two goats. Right? The priests would get bulls and the people would get goats sacrificed on their behalf. So the priests would have two ghosts. Say two. That sounded like ghosts. It was goats. Okay. The, pri the priest would have two goats one, they would, they would slaughter and they would drain the blood into a basin or a container. The second goat would be dealt with later. They would take the, the blood of the first goat and then he would sprinkle it on top of that mercy seat and in front of that mercy seat. But how many times? Seven. It's interesting. Seven times, okay? And then what would happen to the other goat was they would sort of pin it down like this and then the priest would sort of take all the sins of the people. You lied and you stole and you cheated and you went off with your neighbor's wife and you kicked the dog and you, and you stole bread and you, and you hid that thing and he would, he would tell all the sins of the people and sort of, sort of speak them over the goat and then they would beat the goat and then that goat, they would um, um, sprinkle blood on as well and then they would send that goat out into the wilderness. They always did this at the edge of where the camp was, right on the outskirts, so that they could send the goat away, hopefully never to see it again. And this is where the thing of forgiveness comes in. It means to carry away. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat? All right, so most of us know that's where it comes from. Okay, and if you didn't, now you do. <laughs> that's the term scapegoat, all right? It got blamed for the sins of the people and got covered in blood and sent away. And this happened again and again. This was the process that people would have to go through every single year. Why? 
Because the, there has to be the shedding of blood for sins to be forgiven. We get to that a bit later. Okay, so this was a necessary thing. But it wasn't kind of doing the job. Nee? It wasn't good enough. You know what it's like when um, your mom and dad tell you, okay, but um, when I get an upgrade, you'll get my phone. Some of you younger people. And then you're like, yes, but the problem is by the time you get their phone, the tech's like a little bit old. So all you can really do is play games on it. Or maybe send a WhatsApp. And you're like, okay, this is old technology. So there's upgrading that has to happen the whole time. There's, there's never something that's enough. All right. So this is basically all pointing to Jesus and the fact that he would actually shed his blood and let's have a look at it. Now I want to talk to you about the perfect blood of Jesus. All right, so up until now, they had to use animals, and the, the blood of animals had to be shed. But now, here comes Jesus. And do you know he bled seven times on his, on his way to and then on the cross? We often will focus on the cross. And yes, Jesus bled there. But there were other times where his physical body actually bled. And let's have a look. This is interesting because the priest had to sprinkle how many times on the mercy seat? Seven. And Jesus bled seven times. God is in the details, people. God is in the details of our lives. Let's have a look at it. I've got quite a bit of scripture here, and I might not get to all of it. But, um, again, just ask me for some notes afterwards. So we know that he, Jesus starts praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you look at some of the, and the scriptures, especially in the Passion Translation, it's got this poetic, descriptive language it uses. And in one of the scriptures, I think it's Mark 14, 23, it speaks about, but Jesus was plunged, his soul was plunged into deep sorrow and filled with great horror. And he was overwhelmed with anguish. And he, he felt the intensity of what was about to come on him. And he started to pray and sweat and eventually sweat drops of blood. And what was he praying? Even as he felt this intensity, he was saying, not my will, but yours. So when Jesus was sweating drops of blood, he redeemed our will, okay? To be able to say, yes, Lord. Thank you for the power to, to honor you, to obey you. Isn't that amazing? Right, so that's the first place we see that Jesus bleeds, right? And then he's arrested there in the garden, you know that scene in, um, I'm talking to the wrong crowd. You know that scene in Beauty and the Beast? Nee? We, um, <laughs> we, we guessed on, gets all the townspeople riled up about the beast. He sees the beast in the mirror. And then, who's there, Ross? Who else? Morgan. I don't know. Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Not your, not your thing. Okay. It's just, yes. Okay. All right. So, so now Gaston spreads a whole lot of fear in the camp. And then everybody arrives with these lanterns and weapons. And they're like ready to go and kill the beast. And that's what it looked like when they came to arrest Jesus. They had these like lanterns and weapons. I wonder if they got the idea for that scene from, from the Bible. And here they come and they want to kill Jesus. This is his own people now. All right, the Jews. Well, it's, it's, it's Jews and Romans come to arrest him, but they hand him over to the Jewish people, his own people. And then he kind of stands trial during the night, illegally. And they accuse him, you are blaspheming. And what do they do? They punch him and they hit him. And they pluck his beard out. So what's happening? It's bruising. He was hit again and again. He was bruised for our iniquities. All right, just some, some scripture here, Luke 22, verse 54 to 65. And then back Old Testament references, Isaiah 53 verse 5 and 50 verse 6. And I want to just propose to you that this is where Jesus redeemed our internal world, right? 
I mean, if you go and you whack your, your shin against the end of your bed or something like that, you're going to see how the, the bruise goes from purple to green to brown, right? So Jesus was bruised. There was blood vessels are actually ruptured, tiny ones just below the surface. And that speaks to me about our internal world, you know, dealing with things like fear, like anxiety, depression, the internal things going on that, that can't be seen on the surface. Jesus bled even as he was punched and beaten there. And he can redeem us from condemnation, self-hatred, shame, perhaps even what was passed down from previous generations. That's where Jesus gives us his perfect blood. And whatever they were up to, Charles always likes to say if your if granny, you know, if she drove or flew on a broomstick, you know, that's where the perfect blood of Jesus cancels that out. Isn't that cool? All right, so the third time we see him bleed is he's handed over from the Jewish um, authorities back to the Romans, and now he's standing before Pilate. And as we know, Pilate eventually, he tries to kind of save Jesus, but it doesn't work, and eventually he sentences him to death by crucifixion, and he has him whipped. And we know the famous scripture, by his stripes we are healed. All right, that is, I think, Isaiah 53, 5, and even 1 Peter 2, verse 24, speaks about our instant healing flowed from his wounding. Right, so this is where Jesus is beaten with a whip, and that's where he redeems our physical health. All right, I'll recap at the end. All right, then uh, Pilate sends him to, to Herod, and that's where he, he has that crown of thorns. They begin to mock him, because Herod wants him to perform a miracle and do a trick, and Jesus is just, he's not at that party. He's just not going to cooperate with that. So they put a crown on his head and a purple robe, and the crown is wedged in. It's these giant thorns, and he begins to bleed from that wounding. And think about it. It's on our head. It's to do with our mind and our thoughts. All right, maybe the whole thing of bruising is emotions and soul, and here on the head, it's, it's our mind. Maybe it's, it's, it's brain-based diseases even that Jesus comes to heal, but it's, it's to do with the mind and the head. And Jesus here is redeeming our thoughts, and our mind, okay? And then from there, he has to carry his cross up the hill, and then he's crucified physically first, his hands, okay? And here I want to say that this is where Jesus is redeeming our purpose. There's a whole lot of scripture. Psalm 90, verse 17. Psalm 128, verse 2. Colossians 3, 23, 24. And I want to just quickly camp on this one. Whatever you do, do for God, not man knowing you will receive the inheritance from the Lord as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, whatever your hands are finding to do, you are serving the Lord Christ. And we've been talking about um, the, the seven mountains. Charles has been taking us through a series. And whether you're at the top or the bottom, you're serving or you're leading or anywhere in between, it's not holy to be a pastor, <laughs> right? It's not like the spiritual thing to do. We all have a mission and a co-mission wherever we are. Okay, so God redeeming our purpose, which has a lot to do with like what we put our hands to, what we're busy with, okay? And then they nail his, his feet to the cross. And this is where I want to say that that's Jesus redeeming our dominion, our authority that was given in Genesis 1, which Adam handed to the enemy, all right? Um, and then Jesus came to defeat the enemy's ability to have authority unless we give it to him. But Jesus bled from his feet, 
So don't live as a slave to anything, appetites or addictions. Live as victors and rulers, all right? Think about Joseph. He led from wherever he was, whether that was as a servant or in a prison or in a palace. All right, so Jesus redeeming um, our dominion. All right, and then we know that after Jesus died, his side is pierced and blood and water flowed. And I want to say that this is where Jesus redeems intimate companionship intimate relationship, okay? The rib was taken from Adam to make Eve. We can call them Evan. You know how they like to take couples and sort of ship their names together, you know? We can call Adam and Eve Evan if, you, if that works for you, okay? So um, th- there's something intimate about the side here. And Jesus says just before he dies, it's in John 19.30, it is finished. And if you look at the Hebrew word there for finished, it's kala. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. K-A-L-A-H, kala. And it means two things. The one thing is fulfilled, and the other thing is bride. Is that not interesting? The church of Christ was born. It is finished, my bride. So beautiful, so powerful. So here Jesus redeems intimate companionship, and that's not just, I believe, for marriage. It's any having intimate relationship and connection, having a genuine connection with people. He restored our ability to experience that in any facet, but also as a family of God that Jesus gave birth to. I mean, look around. Look at your family. eh? Don't they look so interesting? (laughs) God's given us this family. Hey, you're you're here too. eh? Just please don't go and join another church because you'll make that one imperfect as well, okay? (laughs) We're all in it together. We're all in it. Okay, I've got to stop now. I've got to move on. Okay. So this was happening in the natural realm. Jesus' blood was redeeming, number one, our will. Number two, our souls. Number three, our health. Number four, our minds. Number five, our purpose. Number six, our dominion. Number seven, our relationships and connection. Here, the blood of Jesus redeems it all. Okay, but now we know that earth is basically a replica of what's happening in heaven. Okay, so I see one, one or two of you have your Bibles. So, okay, you can go to Hebrews 9. We're going to just quickly stop in Hebrews 9 and 10, visit there. And then we're going to get to what the blood has done in one. And then you're going <clears> to <throat> use your vocal cords a bit, peeps. Okay, so Hebrews 9 and 10. So if you're wondering where Hebrews is, you know, you know the first eight books that we were learning? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No, no, no. I'm doing this alone because no one's singing it with me on that side of the hall. Anyway, so those first eight books we're trying to learn, it's like another, how many after that? Eleven. Okay, so go look for Hebrews. All right, I'm going to just find Hebrews over here by me. Quickly. So Hebrews 9, once you skip down to verse 22, I'm going to read from verse 22 to 24, okay? So this is a bit of a description. Hebrews 9 and 10, do yourself a favor, go and do an in-depth study. 
And again, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. I love how it reads. Okay. Verse 22. Actually, nearly everything under the law was purified with blood, since forgiveness only comes through an outpouring of blood. And so it was necessary for all the earthly symbols of the heavenly realities to be purified with these animal sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves required a superior sacrifice than these. Okay. For the Messiah did not enter into the earthly tabernacle made by men, which was but an echo of the true sanctuary, but he entered into heaven itself to appear before the face of God in our place. And what this is saying is, you know what, for all that sprinkling of animal blood, that wasn't quite doing the job. That was an earthly measure and means. And here is Jesus is, is dying um, and, and shedding his blood. It's literally, he's there before God. Because now the, the tabernacle and, this, and this, this mercy seat, these are replicas of parts of what heaven looked like. They're glimpses of heaven and Jesus is right there before the Father. And his blood is speaking on our behalf. Really, really powerful. Right, let's just skip ahead to Hebrews 10. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3, just for starters. So if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshippers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshippers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. Okay. So the animal sacrifices was kind of taking care of the sin aspect, but did nothing for the heart on the inside. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's just quickly go to um, verse 9 and 10. Let's skip down to there. Okay. Let me just go from verse 8. First he said, multiple offerings and sin offerings cannot justify your justice. These are the words of Jesus, even though the law requires them to be offered. And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with a new covenant. By God's will, we've been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. All right, so the sacrifice that removes sin, that's what's different about the blood of Jesus. It paid for sin and it removes the effects of sin in our hearts. And it establishes in us a desire for God and to do His will, which we're going to get to again in a minute. Right, let's go down to verse 15. Afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. Where were the laws before? They were written on stone tablets. They were written on stone tablets. And people had to kind of obey from the outside, from what was coming at them. This is so cool. And Jesus said, but this is going to be what my new covenant, when I die, this is what Jesus is saying, when I die, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my laws in their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. This is so important, and we're going to get to this in a moment, because so many of us do not live this as a reality and a truth. We think, yes, thank you, Jesus, you died for my sin, and then we live with all the other junk that we shouldn't be, because we don't really realize what his blood has done completely, okay? All right, um, let's quickly skip down to verse 22, 22 and 23 of Hebrews 10. So we come closer to God, 
and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity. And now we have been freed from an accusing conscience. So where the blood was being sprinkled, it could do nothing for the hearts of the people. They just keep doing, keep kicking the dog, keep stealing the neighbor's cookies and doing far worse. But the blood of Jesus can remove sin and an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. So now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. All right, super, super cool. And then it's just at this point that I want us to really talk about what does the blood mean for you and me? What should our lives look like? If we're not there yet, this is what we can grow into and take a hold of if we're not yet living like this. Okay, but just a moment. I'm coming right back. Sorry. There we go. Okay, so I want to just quickly pause and go back to the Passover where the fathers were asked to paint the blood on the doorposts. What was used to, to do that was the hyssop plant, which was also like a cleansing agent, okay? That was the, the face wash of the day. You know, people would wake up and, and then take a hyssop. I'm guessing, right? You know, it was like, for the ladies, it was like toner. You know, this hyssop branch. It was a nice, strong branch. That's why it was used to um, apply the blood, but it was a cleansing agent. It had a, a cleansing property about it. But I want us to look at this word apply. They applied the blood. And too often we're like, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. And it's this little sentence that we attach to the end of a, the crisis. Or, you know, it's almost like this sort of afterthought or this little ritual we might do. And it was never meant to just be that. All right? I want to tell you today that applying has a lot to do with what comes out of our mouth. And where does that come from? What comes from what's going on in our head. Our, th our, our, our thoughts become our words, and our words become our declaration. Think about this. They overcame by the, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. So the application of the blood is, my, is, is how I am agreeing with it, with my words. Right. Have you ever wondered why declarations are so powerful? That's why. We're agreeing with what the blood of Jesus has done through the truth that comes out of our mouth. And the problem is sometimes we'll try it like a little fairy godmother thing, like, and we try it, and then it seems like, oh, the blood doesn't work for me because that just didn't change me overnight or in the spur of the moment. And we've been using our words to agree with the enemy's junk for so long that sometimes you've got to push in a little bit harder and say, whoa, no, this thing has to be renewed, all right? This, this wrong belief in my heart has to be dismantled. Thank you. And Jesus can do it in an instant, and sometimes it's a process. But he means business, man. His blood, let's look at what it's won and done for us. Okay, I just want to quickly make sure I haven't missed anything important here. No, okay. All right, let me just say about, that's Revelation 12, 11. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the lambs has already been shed. All right? That's what Jesus did. Our responsibility is the word of our testimony. 
So let's have a look and see. I'm going to get you declaring in a minute, okay? If you need to just do it quickly, okay? Here we go. So I want to look at a couple of things. Actually, seven. Quickly, things that the blood has done and won for us. Okay, number one is the freedom from sin. This nature that comes so easily. When we become born again, and the blood of Jesus is now our testimony and covers us, and it's what the Father sees, it frees us from sin, all right? We know the famous scripture, Romans 6.23, that, that the cost of sin or the wage of sin is death, but there's a free gift, and that's life in Jesus eternally, okay? And it was for freedom that Christ set us free, Galatians 5.1. So don't go back again and put on that heavy garment. Don't, you know, be led by your appetites and your, and your, and your, your sin, like a dog on a leash, okay? Don't go do that. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free, okay? All right, for, the, for those older, I can talk to this side of the room, Braveheart, right? They can take our electricity, but they cannot take our freedom. Yes! So ESCOM can do what they want. They will never take our freedom. You see, they have no idea. So, all right, glad you guys got that one. Okay, so let's make a declaration about this. Won't you say after me, through the blood of Jesus... Okay, that's for everyone, including you. I want to hear you through the screen, okay? Through the blood of Jesus, I've been redeemed, bought back. I'm no longer a slave to the law, to the power of sin, or the power of Satan. I'm truly free by the blood. Woo! Okay, yes, okay. Number two, complete forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. In him we have the redemption through blood, the forgiveness of sin. Do you remember what the forgiveness of sin means? Two, what did the goat do? It carried away. All right, that sin, that, that um, scripture, sorry, about how he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Okay. So, so important. I want to just highlight something really important here. So a lot of us say, yes, I've been forgiven. But what happens is we haven't forgotten. So we have a memory of what we did wrong and what we've confessed and what Jesus has forgiven us for. And sometimes with that memory is this accusation that tends to want to linger. That might also be what's been done to us, not just what we've done. And maybe the accusation or the, the need for justice or vengeance or, or to have it put right you know, it lingers. We've maybe forgiven a person, but, but the, the moment lingers. And the blood has washed us from that. Whatever has been done to us, whatever we have done, we are not victims. All right? There is complete forgiveness, complete washing, complete freedom. So let's declare that today. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. All right, now make your eyes big and say, all my sins are forgiven. That was good. That was good, guys. Okay. No accusation can stand against me. All my sins are forgiven because of your blood. Awesome. All right, number three, we have been justified. You don't have to copy anymore, sorry. <laughs> this is point three. Okay, we've been justified, and it's a legal term. 
Okay? Romans 5 verse 9 is the scripture there. It means we can stand before God and nothing disqualifies us. All right? The enemy can, can try and tell us, yeah, but what about, what about, and remember that thing, and hey, your granny flew on a broomstick, and who are you to... And Jesus is like, no, 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 I took care of that, and I took care of that, and I took care of that, and I took care of that. So the blood of Jesus quiets those voices. We have a legal right to be before God because of the blood of Jesus, okay? The enemy is no longer standing accusing us before the Father because now there is a blood that speaks a better word. You remember that the blood speaks? And the blood of Jesus is speaking for us right now. Okay, let's declare. Through the blood of Jesus, I'm justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. All right, now say, just as if I'd. Just, just as if I'd. It's like, just as if I'd. But we were trying to have it sound like justified. Just as if I'd. All right, so that's how you can lead your English teacher to the Lord. Okay. You can say, teacher, I learned a new word in church. It's called just as, just as if I'd. Okay, so just justified, just as if I had never sinned. Okay. Awesome. Did we? Yeah, we did. We did declare. Okay. Number four, we've been sanctified. Thanks, Lips. Thanks, yes. But yeah, yeah, we, you're not coughing now. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 12. This is so cool. This is, this is where we've been made holy in this, in this perfect blood from the Father through Jesus to us. We've been made holy. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Wow. Footloose. Footloose. Yeah, yeah. Some cool moves in the movie, but what's the movie about? It's all about the kids that wanted to go and do the exact opposite of what the church people wanted. So they went and they, they drove fast cars and they drank and they, you know, that's what the movie's about. And what Jesus did was he went and he's like, holiness is not about what you do. It's about who you are. Now, that's not license to go and do whatever you want, Okay. But holiness has to do with the heart. It's no longer an external thing. It has to do with the heart. We get the very nature of Jesus that, that desires. I mean, Jesus was, we read that his food was to do God's will. He loved to do what God wanted him to do. And even when it was hard, right before the crucifixion, he was still saying, not my will. All right? And that's what happens when we give our lives to Jesus and we become born again, is there is this ease actually to do what the Father wants. That's what the blood won for us, okay? Um, so yeah, if we're struggling with sin or you're in like habitual sin, like there's an area that just doesn't want to come right, maybe it's not surrendered yet. Maybe the revelation of what the blood of Jesus has done and built inside of you is not complete yet. Maybe you're young in the Lord. All right, find someone to pray with. Take it to the Lord. Say, Jesus, thank you that your blood was enough for this. That you made me holy, set apart for your purpose, special. All right, not just any other Joe, right? This empowers us to do what God wants us to do. Okay, so let's declare. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart to God. Yes. Okay. Number five. We, we're getting there. We're close. We are cleansed. 
All right, which is like being washed or cleaned. Okay, so 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and if we have fellowship with one another, wait, I have to read that again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and we are cleansed continually. That is interesting, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, light also has to do with fellowship with one another. All right, these walls that we're working on and building, I mean the positive ones, ladies, the bricks, you know what I mean? All right, community, we're big on community, we're big on sharing our lives, we're big on don't forsake the coming together, not just here, but in our homes and building friendship in our family, our church family, right? Because a cleansing can come, yes, as the Lord shines as light, but sometimes it's just, you know, like maybe you were just scrolling online and yeah, just this ad came up and it was really like a ooh ad and it just left you feeling, mm, you know. And if you can't shake it off, you can say, hey, pray with me, man. Or listen, this incident happened at work or in my home and it just, it hasn't been the same since, man. So yes, Jesus has won over the power of sin and the, and the enemy, but we live in a fallen world. So there's this sort of <laughs> kind of effect still around. All right, because we are turning earth into what heaven looks like, but it's, it's ongoing. In this fallen world, there's, there's still things that want to come and cling and, and sting and, yeah, just take us to places we don't need to be at or go to, right? So walk in fellowship, let the light shine, let the blood of Jesus continually cleanse, all right? It's like that brain, our lady in Cluny, that you were drawing the other day. Remember, we were drawing the brain and how the brain was getting a wash. All right, so our heart can get a wash and our brain can get a wash. We can just, the word comes, it's like taking a bath. It's awesome. Okay, so let's declare. As I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing me from all sin now and continually, internally, my conscience has been cleansed by your blood, and I'm alive to you, Holy Spirit. All right, and this is my next point. I want to touch a little bit about conscience here. Do you remember when we read in Hebrews just now that the blood of Jesus actually cleanses us from an accusing conscience? So an accusing conscience is a guilty conscience. But before I get there, let me just tell you that you have access. This is my sixth point about what the blood has done in one. We have access. Hebrews 10.19 says, come with confidence to enter the holy place through the blood of Jesus. So, you know, we can never come into his presence. We can never try and approach him based on how we feel or what we've done. It can never be about that. You had a lousy day. You had a big fight in the car on the way here. It can't be about how you feel or what's happened or what you've done. Because the blood gives you access to approach with confidence. But what happens is, stuff happens, right? And then we actually feel guilty, and it puts us at a distance. So then we don't really worship, because we feel bad. <laughs> and it can never be about, oh, my, my good works have earned me the right. I didn't, I didn't lose it, and I didn't, you know, I didn't speed. <laughs> you know, I've done a really good job of getting to church without anything going wrong. All right, some people were speeding to church this morning. I don't know who you are, but I see some smiles. It's okay, it's okay. I speed too as well. That's why I don't have a fish on my car. So, yeah, I don't know. 
Maybe I've got an unsaved right foot. We'll, we'll have to see. Okay. Now, let me talk to you a bit about, the con about conscience. Okay, Hebrews 10.22 um, speaks about that we can come close to the Lord um, just freely because nothing will keep us at a distance from Him because our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity and we've been freed from an accusing conscience. So we are unstained and presentable to God. Okay? Even... In Romans, it speaks, it's talking about how the Gentiles don't have the scriptures, they don't know about Jesus, but even something inside of them, this is actually in the word, talking about how something inside of us like commends or condemns our actions. So even if we don't know Jesus yet, those that are unsaved at this time, something inside of them is going, or... So we've got a conscience inside of us that's talking to us. It's, it's, it's a positive thing. It's actually telling us if we've, you know, kind of misstepped, but then we just correct, okay? It's not meant to constantly, like a stick, beat us up, okay? So what happens is when, when we feel guilty about something, we feel unworthy, and sometimes it paralyzes us. And some people live with this consciousness of their sin and their wrongdoing, the whole time. And it's because we haven't yet learned how to let the blood wash that away, wash it clean, wash it off. All right, that Jesus has paid for our, for our inner world. Sometimes we are our own worst critic. And a lot of what we're dealing with is our own self beating ourselves up. All right, we've picked up the stick, you know. Maybe, maybe we were sort of, as a kid, kind of picked on or, you know, it was rough and now somehow we've picked the stick up and we've taken over. And we have to actually put that down and say, no, but your blood cleanses me from a guilty conscience. Right? So if you did speed this morning, we're going to have communion now, now. So you can repent for speeding if it's really bothering you. Or for that fight or for that thing that you know you just need to lay before the Lord. And say, thank you, Jesus, that your blood cleans my conscience. So I don't have to walk around with a guilty conscience. Okay? Sometimes when we profess to follow God and we constantly do things that we know are contrary to the word, it starts to cause an internal war and it can actually sear our conscience. It's like, you know how the, the animals get branded? It's, you know, the cows so that no one can steal your cow, you know? Mine has hearts on and yours has crosses on or whatever, that branding. And sometimes living a life where I say one thing and I do another, whether I'm aware of it or not, actually deadens my conscience and the blood of Jesus can even wake that up inside of me okay sometimes we're doing what God wants but we're doing it out of condemnation or obligation or expectation and even that's kind of giving our conscience a bit of a jab our conscience is a gift but it's never meant to be something that's hitting us with a stick the whole time it tells us oh misstep or change your thinking you know you are not a loser you're not a victim okay our conscience is witnessing with us. So it's there. It's a kindness. It's, it's good to have it. But if it's beating us up the whole time, eh. All right. So I've camped a little bit long here, but I feel this is very, very important. I feel there's a big thing of shame the Lord wants to lift this morning. But we'll get into that now. No. Okay. Submit your heart to the blood. Let it touch you. Okay. Let's declare. Through the blood of Jesus, I have confidence before God. My conscience has been made clean. I no longer have a consciousness of sin, but of God 
who gave his son for me. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Okay, number seven, his mediation. Right, so a mediator is, the, is like a middleman. It's not that game piggy in the middle, okay? That piggy's got no power, no piggy power, okay? This is the blood of Jesus that speaks on our behalf. We, we, we read a scripture a moment ago about how his blood speaks a better word. So the blood of Jesus is speaking on our behalf. And when God sees the blood, he also hears it because the blood is a voice. We heard that way back or read that about read that about the blood in Genesis. Okay. God knows every life that he's created. Right? Even Abel's blood was crying out after he was killed by his brother and his blood spilled into the ground. The ground, ah, the blood was crying out. Okay, but Hebrews 12:24, Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and standing on our behalf before God and to the sprinkled blood on the mercy seat which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here it is again. All right, so this, vo this, this voice on the mercy seat, this blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat and is speaking on our behalf, is speaking mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, healing, freedom, wholeness. The blood of Jesus is crying out before the Father right now as we sit here in this room. God knows what each one of us is dealing with, going through. There are online, those that are listening as well. God knows what you're going through. And the blood of Jesus is right now defending you and speaking a better word on your behalf before the Father. Amen. So let's declare that the blood of Jesus is speaking in God's presence on my behalf right now. Amen. That is so good. You know what, what, what I've just read, I want to quickly just recap. I know I wrote it somewhere. I just can't find it in all my 500 little drawings here. Okay. Let me just quickly remind you that what the blood has done and won for us. Freedom from sin, complete forgiveness. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. We've been cleansed. We have access to God and we have a mediator. Okay, this is really powerful stuff. And a lot of us are dealing with issues because we do not live this reality daily. We cannot just come on Easter Sunday morning and go, yay, thank you, Jesus, and spend the rest of the year like, you know, if you look at Revelation 19, wow, there's this wild Jesus. He's on a white horse, and he's got a lot of crowns. And the Bible says his eyes are flashing like fire. All right, and he's wearing a robe dipped in blood. Right, so from before the world, Genesis to Revelation, it's the blood, and it's the blood, and it's the blood. So here's this Jesus um, whose name is Word of God. And let me tell you something. He is coming for a victorious bride and here we are walking around like mrs crawley from sing if you haven't seen the movie you have to see it and in sing too she goes to visit clay calloway and he doesn't want her there so he pulls out his paintball gun and he's shooting her with all sorts of colors and her glass eye pops out she's a chameleon right in the story, right? So her glass eye pops out, so she shoves an apple in there, and she arrives back. She was supposed to bring the, the lion with her, and she arrives back, no lion, apple in the eye. She's full of paintball splotches, and she's going pew, 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 pew. And some of us are walking around like the shell-shocked chameleon with an apple for an eye. We are the apple of his eye, but it's not that literal, okay? Jesus is not coming back for a Mrs. Crawley-style bride, I promise you. All right, what I've just described to you is the most important thing that daily you can take hold of and say, Jesus, thank you for your blood. This might be a little gory, but it's still warm. <laughs> it's still fresh. 
Okay, we have the, I don't know if it's a privilege, but we often see these um, well, chameleons and uh, geckos that have been mangled at the house because of all the cats that live there. And um, so, so we see these little stains of blood on a regular basis, no? And the blood of Jesus, it's still warm and fresh. It's still warm and fresh. And he's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish, a victorious bride. And you know what? We need to stand up and take a hold of the authority that we have in Jesus. And um, I'm going to kind of land off now. See, you can come up so long. Thank you. You can come up so long. Um, I'm going to land it just for the sake of the, the, the live recording. But I just want to pray before we, before we kind of finish. You can start a place so long. Thanks, yeah. And um, I just want to pray a prayer and kind of end that off. And then we as a, a body here locally, we're going to go into a time of... Um, communion um, individually as families for our city and then we're going to go into a time of worship but before we end that off I just want to pray and just say thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus we are not just grateful for the blood but we are excited about your blood that was shed that was perfect that runs through our veins Jesus because it's given us everything that we need for life and godliness to live the life that you've called us to Thank you that we are your victorious bride. And wherever we don't look like that, that you would grow us to look like that. And we just want to say, here's our heart, Jesus. Here's my heart. Here's our hearts. Because we want to give you something to work with this morning. Come and work with our hearts. Come and speak to us about the areas that we need to just release and the areas that we need to take hold of things. And, and just do a deep work today that our lives would never be the same from this point going forward because your blood was enough it was precious and it paid the price in full thank you jesus thank you jesus amen amen